and then the officer says, you know, who's in charge? And Ralph immediately says, me. And yeah. and Jack sort, of, Jack, sort of, Jack sort of starts forward and then stops and thinks better of it. And I always took that to be partly sort of his lack of, his loss of authority, but also partly a sense of sort of self-preservation. It's like, like it's who's responsible for everything we're about to find on this island? Not me. Yeah, he was the chief. Ooh, we had a shell in that. He was in charge the whole time. Yeah. Come on, lads. Um, Not put the effort in to be a psychopath these days. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we are doing our fourth and final part of William Golding's Lord of the Flies. The Flies! (laughs) (laughs) That's hugely disturbing. It it was disturbing when he did in episode one. It's still disturbing now. And maybe I'm just in a disturbed mindset from this book. Because it doesn't... It doesn't go well in this last bit, last bit, does it? No. Lord of the flies. It flies. <laughs> so, that, the, the shell and the glasses is where we're up to. Um, so, yeah, things. And I'm are, sure only good things happen to both the shell and the glasses in this bit. Yeah, I think I'm confident that it's the nice thing that happens to the shell and the lovely consequences involving the glasses. Yeah, the uh, things are taking a bit of a turn shall we say, in the end of the last chapter because uh, Simon had been killed. So, so my question is, how many more turns can it take before they've just gone full circle? Because, like, this keeps taking turns which somehow managed to find more dark crannies of the human experience. Yeah. I think it's less a, less a circle and more a spiral. Um, yeah. Oh, many more turns hey. to come. How about that? Um, right off the cuff so the uh (laughs) the shell and the glasses so yeah um piggy this starts with piggy picking up his glasses and putting them on and seeing sort of half of ralph and half a blur which is how piggy's been seeing the island for ever since his glasses one side of his glasses were broken by jack and it's i thought it's quite nice because it's just something we haven't really thought about but as i think golding's making the point here this has been piggy's life ever since um, yeah, that sort of very almost throwaway bit of violence before. And it's kind of a, like, I mean, it's an interesting little reflection on Piggy as a character, isn't it? That he's like, he doesn't seem to have the kind of classic moment when he's pushed too far. Hmm. He's just going to carry on finding the bit of the world that he can live in without having to fight for it. Yeah. And and, and on this island, that bit of the world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, every day. Um yeah, but it is quite striking, isn't it? Like how you could survive like this this long. In a sense, it sort of puts that sort of that sense of like a shortening fuse on the whole situation, doesn't it? Like a a timer that's only ever going to run out of sand hmm. for Piggy, because all you need to do is trip over. Even if you weren't on an island with a bunch of apprentice psychopaths, all you need to do is trip over once or roll over in your sleep or whatever, and you're fucked. Mm. And, so, and you're living in a blur until the end of time. And um, and it's... Yeah, it was quite... This was quite striking, actually. It was it somehow made, made me feel the precariousness of it yeah. in a way that I really wasn't before. And um, they're sort of reflecting on just sort of coming to terms with what happened last night because everyone was at this uh, sort of this feast when Simon was killed, and the conversation just sort of single words like Simon, and then that was Simon, and then that was murder, yeah. and they slowly, 
um, talk themselves round to sort of not being there or not being as involved as everyone and they all know they were. Yeah. So it goes from sort of it was an accident to he might be okay to he brought it on himself to we best just forget about it and then eventually oh yeah well we were outside the circle and we left early and basically that these four big that the four remaining big kids who are left on, on Ralph's side Ralph Piggy and Sam and Eric all sort of enter into this sort of I don't know like uh, conspiracy amongst themselves just to say oh yeah we weren't involved yeah yeah and it's I found it really striking this because it's you know, there's a lot. There's a lot in this book and this dynamic in the last half of the book of kind of you know order versus chaos and right versus wrong in a sense. But they were there as well, and Ralph's struggling with the fact that he says it was murder. But they also, you know, they they don't. The only way, the only response they can think to have about what happened is to pretend that it didn't happen. Yeah, and and it's. You know, in a, like it's just in that at that point just becomes a slightly more organised version of the the guilt and chaos of the mad tribe at the other end of the beach. Hmm. You know, led by Jack, um, and it's it's dead interesting actually. I tell, so there's a comparison I'll draw here, which is not a wholly may not be wholly appropriate. So apologies if anybody doesn't think it's cool. But um, there's an old episode of uh, Family Guy. Where there's, you know, Family Guy's constantly doing these cutaways, and one of the cutaways is this idea of being on a bus tour in Berlin, hearing about German history, and the sort of the American tourist looks at the looks at the leaflet and goes, "I noticed that you don't have anything between 1939 and 1945," and the bus guard just goes, "Everyone was on vacation," and and like insists that nothing happened during that time, and. Of course, in real life, Germany has absolutely done the opposite of that and has done a lot of work facing everything that was done and that went wrong during the Nazi era. Um, But that's such a rare occurrence in a nation that has, where people have been to a greater or less extent complicit in really horrible crimes, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't think they were the right thing to have done, they will kind of turn away from them and not talk about the depth of the wrong that's been committed and you can see that in lots of places around the world and it's just this this little scene was just it was heartrending but it was also quite sort of it took the moral sheen off of them a little bit you know mm. what i mean they've been presented as sort of you know the traditional kind of you know uh you know democracy and and, and apple pie and the rest of it but actually it's you know they also are murderers but they're murderers who are pretending they don't murder people I'm yeah. not sure if that makes them any better any any better it doesn't make them worse but it doesn't make them very much better you know yeah we we move over to uh, the other side of the island uh, Roger creepy old Roger approaches the fort um, he sees this at the top sort of over the causeway to the fort there's this big boulder on a cliff and someone's wedged <laughs> and it seems like someone sort of wedged a piece of wood below it so so they can so they can ease it off and doesn't it send it crashing down and rogers what just finds this amazing possibly go wrong well yeah well i mean absolutely but also uh, we can add to the list of propaganda and improvised quasi-religious ritualistic violence uh we can add to that list 
immediately improvised siege weaponry, apparently, <laughs> to the list of things that these 12-year-olds just intuit out of thin air. I'm like, oh yeah, because what'll happen is if we stick a rock underneath it, we'll fuck everybody up. Mm. Fuck everybody up, everybody agreed, fuck everybody up, fuck everybody up, brilliant. Whack it in there. Yeah, they all seem pretty pretty happy with, with Jack, or they at least respect him insofar as they talk about how he's a proper chief. And then after a sort of a beat, they yeah. say, oh, he's going to beat Wilfred. And we never really understand why he's going to beat Wilfred. And it doesn't seem like anyone yeah. really knows, but it's just sort of accepted that, yeah, sort of random beatings are kind of the, the deal now. This is, this is what's yeah, going to happen. And you're invited to anticipate them and participate them and enjoy them, just never to question them. Yeah. And there's this, the, like, the normalisation of violence where you go through this whole process of making people comfortable with being part of violence occurring. And the end point of that is when something violent happens and you just go, oh yeah, that's the way it is. Um, rather than having any other comment on it. Mm. Um, and that's quite, that's quite harrowing. And this idea of he's a proper chief as well. I realise this isn't where Golding's going with this, but I'd quite like him to have He's sketching a nightmare here, so he's not going to do the this, but then on the other hand, this. But there were a couple of moments during this time of Jack's sort of ascendancy as a military leader slash Christian Bateman enthusiast, um, uh, where I there were like I sort of questions were begged that weren't that weren't asked, and that sort of that frustrated me a little bit because there's one bit where he says, I think it's a little bit later. Um, where he says, see, they do what I tell them to do. Mm. And I, I was kind of, in this bit and in that bit, I wanted somebody to be like, yeah, but it's not doing you any fucking good, is it? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, I'm very, still very much on Ralph's train of you let the fire go out, we're never going to get off this island. Mm. You know, um, uh, but, like, nobody's making that argument. They're just like, oh, he intimidates me, so he's a proper chief. Yeah. And nobody says anything different to that. The The... That was the function that Simon filled, and Simon got killed. Hmm. That's that's the nightmare that he's sketching, of course. But it yeah. was still a bit, yeah, frustrating. Jack hatches this um, this devious plan to go and take some of the fire because he realizes again he's never sort of he never thinks more than one step ahead. It seems Jack, and it just sort of occurs mm. to him now that oh we don't have it. We're going to hunt and we'll get we'll kill something. We'll get some meat. Oh, we've no way of cooking it. Uh, okay, we'll best go and nick some fire. So um, they, yeah. they head off to do that. Yeah. Um, flick back to, to Ralph and Piggy and Simon uh, building the fire again it's a lot of work, Sam and Eric are getting pretty disheartened, it's basically they're, um, they're realising just how hard it is to keep this fire going especially a bigger one because it needs to be because it's not on the mountain when there's just yeah. four of them and two of them yeah. are effectively sort of seen as one Sam and Eric are seen as one person <laughs> Sam and Eric go and operate alone and Piggy can't do anything by himself because yeah. you can only see out of one half of his face. Yeah, Sam and Eric's sort of cushy two people as one person job seems to be sort of called into question here. Like, we don't think we can, <laughs> we can't really indulge this anymore, guys. You can have to act as two people again. I, I, I know that you support one another, and that's cute, but equally, please do two people's worth of washing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they let the fire burn down. They decide they'll just they'll let the fire go out at night. Um, and only have it on in the day because you can't see the smoke at night. No one seems to think, yeah, but you, you could see a fire more clearly at night. 
<laughs> that's true. But again, it's a good example in it of that sort of we're going to talk around this and the first thing that somebody says with any force is going to be agreed with rather than somebody going, hang on a minute. This entire story hinges around how little people go, hang on a minute, though. Just wait there. You know mm. what I mean? Like rather than saying, I'm right. No, you're wrong and I'll fight you about it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's the tone in which they do all of this. So the first time somebody goes, yeah, no, we'll do it in the daytime and yeah. not at night because you can't see smoke at night. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, um, they, they go to sleep in the dark and they, they're awoken by something creeping around outside. And at, at first they think it's the beast returning and, um, and they're, they're terrified. And then they hear this voice calling out for Piggy. Um, and they realise that it's it's Jack and his group, and there's this sort of desperate fight in the dark, which ends with Jack running away. Well, the hunters running away, uh, carrying Piggy's Piggy's glasses. <sighs> yeah, and it's like the sort of the description of that fight is quite. I don't want to say it's not funny at all. In fact, it's quite nightmarish. But it is also this is where they're rolling around in the dark and like there's a whole there's a description of a fight and Ralph gets kneed in the bollocks. Right? Mm. This is that one. It is, and I think I kind of when I've read this before, I've got the impression that Ralph and one of Sam and Eric have actually fought each other in the dark. Yeah, that was it. And <laughs> I think that was kind of I couldn't work out if that was an attempt at comedy or like like because if it is it's black comedy <laughs> you know what i mean like you're looking for an upside and he absolutely like he's fighting this guy and he's winning and then the guy runs off and you're like yeah and then it turns out they were just fighting each other <laughs> um uh, <laughs> I, yeah it's it's quite i mean it's again it's just extraordinary how this the character of jack just manages to intuit his way into how to how to fuck other people about mm. and how efficiently he does that um yeah, and then uh, yeah, the end. The ending of that chapter with him running off with Piggy's glasses, having set up the fact that Piggy is blind essentially hmm. um, beforehand, uh, is is quite. That's that's quite a striking end to the chapter because he's running off with glasses dangling. you like, and it says they're already broken, doesn't it? Um, um, I think one 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 side. Oh, still only one one side so. of it's broken. Yeah, okay. yeah. Cause, of course, because they light a fire in a bit, don't they? Yeah. I just went up, but when I read that, I was like, "Oh, they've done it now!" Like, what a great image of how stupid all of this, all of this violence is. Hmm. That they've come to get the glasses and broken them. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think also it just shows sort of the the drawbacks of being so um, sort of wedded to your principles and uh, like the fact that Ralph won't get his hands dirty and mm. you know wants to uphold being civilized and not sort of planning for fights and stuff like that it just mm. means if one if the other side is willing to resort to violence you just get rolled over because mm. it is in terms of sort of intelligence and planning and stuff Ralph's more intelligent than Jack but because Jack's yeah. prepared to use force and Ralph isn't and he doesn't even prepare to defend himself then it yeah. just doesn't really matter what your principles are you just get absolutely rolled over yeah 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 and that's and again like I'm absolutely displaying my own personality bias here but it just, like that seems to be true in so far as people 
let the violence set the terms of the discussion. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there are, but of course they're kids. And actually, throughout this thing, like the the thing that you do other than violence, which is talking, which is something that Ralph is quite good at sometimes, is explicitly displayed as like falling away from him. Like there's this whole all mm. this talking about the curtain. There's this sort of curtain that like sort of kind of blows you know kind of blows open and shut in his brain and while it's doing that he just can't think of what he was going to say Hmm. and it's such an interesting way of showing trauma causing somebody to kind of lose it a bit yeah in a completely different way than jack is losing it as a result of the trauma of being stuck on an island um ralph is losing it by losing his ability to communicate and that's his killer app Hmm. you know that's as serious to him as piggy losing his glasses is to piggy or Jack being unable to run and hunt would be to Jack. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really key to kind of everything that happens next is that Ralph just can't, often cannot string a sentence together. Yeah, and I'm not so, so sure how um, how effective the most rousing of oratories would be anymore now, because it's just, it feels like it's just all gotten away from him. I mean, I I don't disagree with that, and obviously, you know, it's it's a fictional universe in which this doesn't happen. And again, I display my bias, but it is a bit like, given that what Jack is doing is about symbolic power, hmm. there are ways in which rhetoric can be symbolically powerful in a way that's different and more profound than face paint. Hmm. Um, I would say, as a general point, but like, but in this story, no, absolutely, he's twelve year old, and twelve year olds are better at violence than they are at oratory. So, <laughs> you know, if the twelve year old who's good at violence is going to beat the twelve year old who could probably be good at oratory in ten years' time, hmm. every single time, you know. So, um, the next chapter is Castle Rock. Uh, the fire is out completely. Um, Piggy, it says Piggy was expressionless behind his uh, was a luminous wall of myopia. I think it is. What a line! I, just, I put, I copied that down because I thought, "Crikey, that's a fantastic line." Yeah, it really is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but this is yeah, and sort of this just shows Piggy at his absolute most vulnerable now as well. I mean, if you thought he was sort of a vulnerable character yeah. before, now it's um, yeah. It, this is sort of the low point, isn't it, for the group here? Um, very much, and it's sort of very sad as well, like. Piggy even says, you know, I'm going to need to be led like a dog. Mm. And that's just, goodness, just the sheer sort of almost sympathetic shame that you feel of somebody just saying, describing themselves as being as useless as a blind dog Mm. is like, geez, like that, that really, that was the nadir for me in a sense. Yeah. And Piggy says, you got to blow the conch. And Ralph says, what's the point? It's like, you know, it's all we've got left. And he blows it, yeah. and there's obviously there's no response really, apart from a couple of little little kids come out of the jungle, and it sort of just rolls back round to that conversation they had a few chapters ago, where Piggy said, you know, mm. blow the conch, and Ralph's like, well, if I blow it, and no one comes back, we've had it, and this is just yeah. the final moment where he's got to, you know, why not? He's yeah. got to try it, and of course, yeah, it just shows yeah. just how how far things have gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. So there's this. Something that really struck me about what Ralph says about this as well is his just sheer despair and, and frustration at the fact that they've these these guys have come over and stolen the glasses and the fire. And he said, you know, we'd have given them fire if they'd have asked, but they didn't. They just came yeah. and stole it. 
and it, it's yeah. that as well it's, it's it's kind of similar to what i said um, earlier about his principles is that he can't understand why jack's being so aggressive when they're not when they're when they're doing everything they can to to sort of to be helpful he says we would have given you the we would have given you know we would have given them the fire yeah. if they wanted it in a sense i think this is this the, him saying that is the sort of slightly wordier version of why do you hate me from mm. last time yeah and it's the same thing it's the it's the he doesn't know how to articulate he's articulating it slightly more here but i think it's still basically down to bewilderment at like i want to believe i live in a universe that is governed by rules and you're just ignoring them like why and that I, that I think that is quite an interesting thing that is if you're ever unlucky enough to sort of be a victim of violence the question why always presents itself you know mm. because it, it feels exquisitely personal even when to the person doing it it's a function of whatever shit is going on in their mad brain you know mm. um most of the time it's not to do with you except it is to do with you because it's your fucking nose and i think that's what that's what ralph is experiencing here is a kind of a desire to bargain with this with the kind of violence which you can't often you can't do Hmm. yeah yeah and and this is uh this this next sort of bit is about i suppose it's, it's about piggy finding his um sort of a little bit of um, a bit of courage and a bit of I don't know, he, he's, this is his strongest speech he ever, and strongest things he actually ever says here where yeah. he, he sort of, he's had enough and he's, uh, and he's, he's all upset and he's saying he's gonna, we've got to go over to Jack and just tell him he's got to give him my glasses back basically because, he says because what's right, because what right because what's right is right um, yeah. you know, and, he, and and it's quite it's quite moving just how dignified um, Piggy is in his moment of just greatest weakness that's very interesting i hadn't i i hadn't responded that way but actually i think you're absolutely right like yeah you're right it is really very moving and very dignified um but it's i mean again i you know there are this isn't the story that he's telling there are i think i think though i just kick a little bit against the what happens in this last bit of the book Hmm which is about which presents like chaos and violence as somehow holding all the cards Hmm. and the idea of what's right actually being a kind of reasonably self-righteous fiction um and like that there are certainly ways in which one can forward the argument about chaos or like forward chaos in a way to which uh order that's a bad word for it but like you can fall chaos in a way in which rules-based society doesn't have an answer to but i don't necessarily think that's inherent inherent to them i don't think one precedes the other Mm. and i think there are other arguments that you can make that a rules-based approach is a rules-based approach wins and you know like in many and you know the primary argument for that is that it makes everybody richer Hmm. um because you can make more money when you're at peace but um uh, and of course that's not the book that he's making here and fair enough i don't want to sort of review the book that it's that that i wanted it to be rather than the book that it is but i think there's a there could be a temptation to run on from this book and the end of this book particularly and be like 
well, he's made a great argument there for nothing means anything and fuck the lot of you. Mm. And I don't actually think that's the argument he's making here. I think, I mean, we can talk about this at the end, but I feel a bit more like the argument here is don't kid yourself that you're too civilized to become savage. Mm. And I think that's a, that's a different, that's a different message. That's a call to humility rather than hopelessness. Um, and I think, and I think you're right. Like Piggy does the best version of, um, of the well-meaning moralist argument here. And you're right. It is quite moving, Mm. but it still doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, I, I think the, the point, especially towards the last few chapters of the book is when things get, when when things get chaotic and savage they develop a momentum of their own and then your sort of arguments about order and how even sort of mutual benefit can come in if you do things in a civilized way they just can't gain traction anymore because it's like almost like a spiral or a whirlpool and mm. it, it develops mm. a momentum of its own which you just you can't stop until mm. you find some savage way of stopping it or, mm. as we see at the end of the book, some some greater power appears, which which has complete authority over the two sort of sides that are fighting. Um, mm, but yeah. yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. I realise that's more of a reflection for the end of the book, but it just occurred to me then. Oh, we can roll with it. So, so we go to, um, so so they go to the four kids head over to Castle Rock, as it's now known, um, and there are these little sort of sort of pinpricks throughout as sort of little words that Piggy says he's just sort of reminding that Ralph that he's there and he's vulnerable there's a bit where they uh, they get to Castle Rock and Ralph sort of plucks up his courage and, and sort of starts to walk out and you hear like Piggy behind him just say don't leave me Ralph and they are uh, yeah. as he approaches Ralph says he's calling an assembly um, yeah and all the time this is going on, Roger's up at the top of the cliff sort of throwing stones to miss, but feeling sort of powerful. Again, it's a callback to this quite a few chapters yeah. ago with the little kid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and like Roger... Interestingly, when you described Roger as a bit of a psycho previously, I I didn't get that vibe from him before, like last last time when they were in the woods. Hmm. And he was just a bit quiet. But this time, he kind of becomes... And I'm going to get the name of the senior Nazis wrong again. I know, but like, like, um, uh, a flipping camp commander. Oh, I'm actually thinking of um, Amon Guth, who I, I'm not sure was real, but the the bad guy from um, one of the many bad guys from Schindler's List. Um, uh, like the guys who seemed to genuinely enjoy what they were doing. Hmm. Like Roger has become one of those people here, where he's just like, if there can be violence that is a good thing of itself hmm. and that it makes him a hugely valuable asset to be manipulated by somebody like jack who thinks where there can be violence that ends up with me in charge that is a good thing and it's a slightly more complicated thing hmm. whereas roger would just burn the house down for the sake of the fire yeah you know? yeah yeah that's true um jack is, isn't actually there he's out hunting and he come he comes back from so sort of emerges from the forest and it's quite funny because Ralph's standing sort of leading and the twins are sort of standing behind him facing the the fort. And then as soon as Jack emerges from behind them, they immediately like run round behind Ralph again <laughs> to make sure that he's yeah. he's between them. Um, yeah, yeah. And Ralph, Ralph sort of, his, his fury about what's happened really comes up here and he, he's, he screams at Jack that he's a thief 
This is the thing that's yeah. really pushed Ralph over the edge, isn't it? It's just the just yeah. the sort of base way that Jack's acted in terms of like yeah. just just thieving something that Ralph's always been brought up to to sort of sort of know is absolutely wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where we get the great the the line I was talking about before with Jack going see they do what I tell them to do. Mm. Um, it's a real again, it's a real face off of these these kind of two different archetypal ways of looking at the world. Mm. Um, Roger's making the argument. Uh, sorry, Ralph's making the argument that you stole. That's just beyond the pale. And Jack's sort of saying, "I don't have to care about that sort of shit anymore because look at all the people I've got to throw a punch on my behalf." Yeah. Um, which is a more short-term argument. It hasn't got. It hasn't got the longevity, but it's certainly compelling while it sticks around. Yeah. With with a sharpened stick. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's the difference between the two of them is because. Ralph wanted to be chief to achieve something, get rescued, whereas Jack yeah. just wants to be chief to be chief. That's the that's the ends yeah. and the means, isn't yeah. it? Whereas Ralph's yeah. being chief's a means to an end. Um, so yeah. so this ends into this this fight, which kind of starts off lethal because they go at each other with these points of spears, then turns into a sort of non-lethal fight, um, without them really sort of saying anything. And in the middle mm. of it, again, there's just this sort of this prick again from from Piggy, just his voice coming over saying, "Ralph, remember what we came for—the fire, my specs." And he's—it's yeah. funny. It's—it's it's, you really get this sense of like Piggy is the sort of voice of of reason here, and sort of the sort of angel on Ralph's shoulder a little bit, just saying, you know, don't yeah. lose yourself to just fighting for fighting. So you know, yeah. there's a point to all this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this. This speech is made by um, Ralph again, not a great one, and there's no sort of response. It's it's better than his last attempt, but you know, there's no, no one's really buying what what Ralph's selling anymore now in terms of civilization. All he gets is yeah. a bit of giggling. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as he's saying it, sort of uh, some of Ralph, some of Jack's hunters grab Sam and Eric, and uh, and capture them as well. Yeah, and th- this was pretty dark. Like where it goes after this wasn't where I was expecting it to go with Sam and Eric. But I, I honestly did think at this point, oh, they're just going to kill him then and there, like Sam and Eric had done. And they start talking like it as well. And there's this mm. sense of sort of awful inevitability about the fact that Jack's so confident that when he tells people to time up, that's just what they'll do, mm. and it works. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. really creep creepy chilling really end of the scene yeah i think it's interesting that jack never actually until the end of the book he doesn't go so far as to order an execution of a person um you know this this what happens to simon is this sort of it isn't something that is planned if you know what i mean and what happens That's to Piggy true. is not yeah. something that he sort of plans and sanctions he, he's obviously greatly yeah. at fault for both of those deaths but yeah. it's not like he um, is. Yeah, he's planned it out, and uh, it's only the one. It's only his attempted murder of Ralph at the end, which is which is actually a plan. That's that is true, and actually that I mean, but it but it is quite a plan. Hmm. Like it's a very ruthless and effective plan. Hmm. Um, but but for the Deus Ex Machina at the end of the book, but um, uh, yeah, that's a solid point. Actually, I hadn't really thought of that. It is the chaos that he wants rather than the death. He just doesn't think the death is a problem as long as it doesn't happen to him. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so this fight resumes as um, again Ralph can't can't believe that he's again, there's always there's always a more than sort of a a flavor of naivety to Ralph as well in the way he deals with this. He, like, he can't believe that mm. his his two friends have been captured by them. Um, he, mm. He's I suppose he's still he's still operating Ralph right to the end as if Jack is civilized and can be reasoned with, and he never he never quite admits to himself that there is no there's no there's nowhere that jack won't go to get what he wants yeah, yeah. um and yeah. He, i think he always ralph always assumes that at the end jack's just like him and you know they, they've both got limits as to what they'll do even though he's, yeah. he, and he doesn't see the evidence before him sometimes yeah well and i think that's quite an interesting one isn't it because the, the the kind of forging of their relationship in the extremely early moments is entirely revolves around that wordless recognition that we both play play by the same rule book mm. yeah and he hasn't noticed or perhaps doesn't want to notice or embrace the insecurity of the fact that jack very much is no longer playing by that playbook mm. yeah um we end with sort of after the next part of the fight, Jack ends up on the side, sort of the fort side with the rest of his hunters, and Ralph is facing them um, with Piggy next, with Piggy sort of just a bit away behind him, and Piggy makes this impassioned speech uh, all the time with these like stones sort of still zinging by um, as yeah. as Roger's sort of watching from above. And yeah. it, it sort of again it builds here where um, Jack and the tribe are sort of waving the spears and like preparing to effectively charge. It says Ralph knows that they're is about to, they're about to charge him, and yeah. as it sort of builds, Roger sort of in the middle of the moment as well just leans on the on the lever and sends this boulder off. It reminded me a little bit of the like um, do you know those those classic sort of standoff medieval med- a medieval battle in a film yeah, where there's a standoff yeah. and everyone's shouting at each other and then someone fires off the first arrow because they get carried away and that yeah, that very much felt like what happens that's Roger. the whole battle yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I I'm not sure it was necessarily a question of being too like being tired or losing concentration so much as it was like yeah brilliant brilliant violence brilliant brilliant Let's brilliant and yeah. just like just just hitting the thing because this is the way it's going and this is where this is how we continue to escalate this and i'm loving this escalation yeah um it's sort of how i read this i think i read roger as more of a an implacably deliberate psychopath mm. uh than you do but um but yeah and it is quite i mean if you want the like and as i say william golding has put together a nightmare here and the point of the nightmare is exactly this is that you can be making the most morally justified well put together reasoned argument for a constructive piece that you like but if there is a maniac holding a rock above your head they can kill you all the same they can kill you as if you hadn't said a word Mm. and that's quite I don't think that's untrue I think the history of conflict in the 20th century particularly tells us that it definitely is true Um, but again it's a nightmare in its own very tight terms Mm. I would say um yeah. yeah. So as you say, Piggy is is killed. So this rock sort of crashes down, strikes him. It's, it's again, it's a really gruesome death. Strikes in this glancing blow. Yeah. He falls off yeah. the cliff forty feet to the uh, to yeah. the rocks below, and then he sort of he's, he's shattered on the rocks. And then again, the sea yeah. sort of washes him away. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, was it was this a shock to you when it happened, or did we did you see this coming? Like he's about to. Was it at what point in the book did you think Piggy's going to die before the end of this story? Well, to be honest, that was something I brought into the book because of the sort of cultural footprint of this book in mm. loads of other bits of media that I have seen. I knew that there was a character called Piggy, and I knew that that it all went to a very dark and murderous place. Mm. And so I assumed, actually, that the shape of the book was leading up to there being some big ritualistic orgiastic killing of Piggy. Mm. You know, because you've got kill the pig, slit its throat, drink its blood. Yeah. Um, uh, all the way through, I thought that's where we were going. So what happened to Simon was quite a surprise and quite a, a far more subtle way of dealing with it than I think other works inspired by this would have done, So, mm. which is how you can tell it's the origin point. Um, but I still didn't expect him to make it, just because practically he's on a desert island with a... Even if, they, even if he wasn't on a desert island with a bunch of people who have gone insane and opposed himself to those people. Um, he's on an island and he can't see. Hmm. You know, it, it's not hard to get killed in that circumstance. Um, but this this scene particularly was... It was a pretty brutal way of presenting it, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was reading it at school, thinking, sort of, ex- thinking that he was going to get killed just because of the character that he was. And when it happened, thinking, oh man, it's, it's sad, but sort of almost like yeah. he, he kind of had it coming because it's just... He's he he was too weak to survive on the island, and it was yeah. only when I'm, hold on. <clears throat> it was only when I read it again when I was older that I um, I, I I really considered like the horror of how unfair it was and how wrong it was. Whereas I think when I was when I was at school, I was yeah. like, yeah, this is bad, but sort of, I don't know, maybe maybe because of what you see in the playground, it's like, yeah, he's the kid who's going to end up like going badly for him i mean i didn't see anyone honestly i i I do think it takes quite a long time of being an adult before you examine the casual cruelties that were such a a normal part of being a child Hmm. like being in the society of children and that's absolutely because that's exactly where i was coming from on this i was like oh yeah he is marked for death (laughs) he speaks in a kind of funny way he doesn't he's not in the slightest bit assertive he talks like his auntie you know what i mean like he, there's a lot of this even down to saying you jack merridge i see you that is type a like kind of hectoring hmm. auntie behavior that's rolling pin waving behavior you know um as a way of putting it and i'm not necessarily saying that there are better ways of expressing yourself than that i'm just saying that in the playgrounds I went to school in, talking like your elderly female relatives was not a recipe for social success. <laughs> and and uh, exactly like you, I, I just sort of assumed, really, that for that reason he was going to die. Um, so, but, so, but this scene was striking to me, not because it happened, just because I couldn't see how you would get through this confrontation without somebody dying, and it was pretty clearly going to be Piggy because mm. he's the most vulnerable. Mm. Even before he found himself curled up on the top of the cliff top, going, I can't see enough to get off this. <laughs> um, yeah. Even before that, you're thinking, somebody's going to die and it's probably going to be Piggy. He's mm. got a red shirt on at this point. Yeah. But um, uh, the description of it, I thought, was amazing. Like, in fact, every time something has happened, Golding strips right back to description only in, like, quite. He's like self-consciously not using 
cliched phrases or phrases which are drawn from other books or descriptions of death Hmm. and gore and so on. He's describing it as if he is looking at seeing something like that for the very first time, that he's never read a book that presents it, he's never seen a film that presents it, he's not familiar with gore. He's writing it exactly like a sheltered 12-year-old would have done in the mid-50s. He's writing it like one of his students would have done. Um, if they if they had a faultless vocabulary, I suppose. But there's this kind of like outsideness, this sort of otherness of his view of this, and the description was just awful. It says something, you know, like it, the, the rock hits him and glancing, it hit it hit the conch, and it was it it was broken into a million pieces and was no more. Mm. Full stop. And this is big totem of how everybody's been thinking the whole book, and it's just gone. Yeah. And then, and then. Um, Piggy falls down to the rocks and there was it's something like there was um uh sort of stuff coming was out of his of head, wasn't it? Yeah. Stuff coming out of his head. And it's the fact that it says stuff and not blood mm. that that whole thing revolves around. Because then it's not his head was bleeding, it's like did his brains just fall out? It, that that, that really like, made me think of something that like a child would say. Um Yes, exactly that. Stuff yeah. coming out, yeah. Yeah, and and that's my point really is that he 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 makes you inhabit same same way with the dead body in the parachute. Yeah. He makes you inhabit what only what they're seeing, yeah. not what it is, not how you'd interpret it, not the story you tell about it. Just something billowed, and then a dark figure sat up in the darkness. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, stuff came out of Piggy's head, and it's all you need to know about what it's mm. doing to their brains to see this. Mm. I think so. Um, after he, once he's died, uh, Jack throws his spear at Ralph, and Ralph runs away. And then Jack sort of turns to deal with Sam and Eric, and uh, he basically shouts at them and tries to force them to join him. And they doesn't like they're going to do it. And then sort of Roger steps in and and takes over. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> No, and I, Roger steps in and takes over. That is not a sentence that's good for anybody. Yeah, and and I remember the first time I read this, thinking similar to what you thought early on that when this happened, I thought, oh, they're they're finished. He's he's just gonna yeah. he's just gonna kill them. Um, yeah. but it doesn't quite go that way. We get to cry of the hunters. Um, Ralph is hiding. He sort of creeps back to Castle Rock. Um, mm. This is there's this stuff just in in Ralph's head where he's trying to rationalise it. And trying to convince himself that you know there's still kids playing a game and he's not really going to get killed, and yeah. you know he, he sort of he he almost considers walking up and just saying you know right um, declaring a peace and then just joining the tribe, but he knows yeah. deep down that no there's something something this is real you know this is real yeah, what's something's going on, going on. Yeah. and again we come back to this this the beast the lord of the flies this sense of something you know like something dark is going on here Mm. and ralph kind of sees that and intuits it and knows that even though the best outcome for everybody would be exactly that because then i have to run fucking patrols and the rest of it um that's not going to happen because now everybody has too much invested in the fact that there is a conflict yeah and and that's true that's 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 what shapes what happens he comes across this pig skull um, in the clearing, and he sort of punches yeah. it and, smash, and smashes it on the floor. 
but um, <laughs> I that so was the quite combined nice. cheers of the entire audience. I think. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite a nice little just moment, just of him like, oh, yeah. that's a fucking thing. For fuck's <laughs> sake! Like that's great, and I think in a different sort of story, you could almost play that for laughs. Like there are a few moments where if you had the stones to do it, you could play <laughs> some of the stuff that's happening here for laughs. But you'd have to be really careful about it. But you could do it. <laughs> you could do it where he sort of emerges into the clearing and and the, the sort of a close for the skull, and you hear that the the voice again that's about to say, "Ah, so who comes up?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> fuck off! <laughs> that's what you need Phil to come back. By the way, where is Phil? This is my question. At yeah, this point. yeah, we've not seen the return of Phil Mitchell. Presumably, he's just he's hanging around at the back, letting Grant do all the talking. Yeah, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what you need. You need Phil Mitchell walking through there. Just look, come here, you pig skull slag. <laughs> yeah. So Ralph, Ralph heads back to the um, to Castle Rock again, still talking to himself about how unfair everything is. Basically, he's saying, he's thinking, I'm an outcast, and he says to himself, just because I had some sense, you know, because because yeah. I actually, you know, because I don't want to be a savage. Suddenly, I'm the outcast. Um, yeah. He gets back to the to Castle Rock, and he realizes. Sam and Eric are on guard. But yeah. Ballsy move from Jack to not only sort of put him in, that. but put him on guard duty as well. Yeah, like immediately afterwards as well. Like, is that just a function of nobody really enjoys being on guard? So you've joined at the bottom of the pyramid, so yeah. you have to go and stand on the edge. I think that's definitely that's your, it, yeah. That's your perimeter, though, isn't it? Like, well, finally, we reach a point where Jack does not just by instinct alone intuit the best of frigging military strategy yeah so um ralph climbs up to um to sort of try and speak to sam and eric and they like when they see him they sort of try and force him like they, they try and sort of play the part that they've been told to play which is you know they say you know you go away and um they, they try to sort of turn on him and this is uh sort of jack uh, ralph's response to this is really like sad it's sort of says words couldn't express the the dull pain of this and they sort of he, he accepted this new fact like a wound it really um yeah. it really hits him this because these are his last two friends and even they've turned on him for for sort of and for what for why there's nothing he's even done yeah 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 and and that is quite bleak isn't it like there's that's on a much more boyish level a much less sort of you know spiritual slash political slash you know violence based reason just far more he had friends and now his friends are not his friends anymore Mm. that is an experience that every teenager has and it hurts every time Mm. you know what I mean like and that's something I think everybody in the audience will go yeah yeah you know you really empathize with that if if nothing else even if you've never been on an island in danger of your life from your peers you will sympathize with the experience of losing friends yeah um, Sam and Eric won't leave with him. They, um, they, they end up talking to him, and sort of you can you can tell that this sort of you go away stuff is really it, sort of an act that they feel they have to do, and they don't really believe it because they then start speaking to him. They won't sort of leave and join him again, but um, they do give him some of the meat from the from the feast. Uh, yeah. Ralph asks, you know, what's going to happen to me? And they, there are two chilling things to say to him. One is they're going to hunt you tomorrow, and yeah. and two is Ralph says, "Well, and what what they're going to do when they catch me?" And uh, they say Rogers sharpened a stick at both ends. 
and that's just left hanging in the air yeah yeah and like again that sort of boyish i'm not going to explain more about this so i'm just gonna let your imagination run riot actually sort of invites both Ralph and the audience to have their own there's a beast up there and we don't know what it is moment Hmm. of like I'm not quite sure what you would do with a double ended spear but I'm confident that none of them are good oh I I always I always took it to be um, same as the the pig's head it's head and a spike you put one end in the ground and you stick the head on it uh that's interesting. But maybe, and that makes sense. Maybe I've got a more g- gruesome imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think you have to apologise at this point in the book for imagining that gruesome things might be intended. <laughs> I think that's probably, that's that's a legitimate interpretation to bring to. But no, I didn't. I didn't think that's interesting. Um, he he speaks to he says to Sam and Eric, "Look, okay, tomorrow I'm going to hide in that thicket nearby. Just keep them away from me." Um, and they're like, "Okay," so he he runs off. He hides there. He thinks I best wake up early, so I'm, I'm prepared. And classic, because he's exhausted. Classic. He sort of falls asleep, and then the next thing he knows, the savages are already hunting. Um, yeah. And it sort of looks like it works for a while. The um, the sort of cordon passes him, and then he hears voices, and he, he hears like, like he can tell from what's going on around him that Sam and Eric have, have actually given him away, and that. they know where he is that's where they're looking for him yeah yeah Yeah. oh that's horrible isn't it yeah and then he's sort of he's sort of grasping he's thinking well it's a good defensive position only one of them can come through this thicket at a time so i can hold them off and then they sort of they up the stakes and they go up this um this cliff again and there are a couple of other boulders up there and he knows what's coming now and this is um so basically two boulders get sent down towards him and this felt a little bit sort of First World War shelling to, in, in a sort of much yeah, more primitive sense. I thought that as well, yeah. actually. Yeah, Just yeah. waiting to see if it's going to hit you as this, as this massive thing comes towards you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it doesn't, right? Mm. And it doesn't hit him. And then he looks up and says, right, there's only one left up there, so it should be all right. But the one that's left up there is the size of a cottage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how big's the rock, the stick that Roger's found underneath this, and how excited is he going to have to get before he accidentally <laughs> knocks it down the mountainside? Yeah, yeah, he's going at it. Hang like on, I've a... got this. <laughs> Just jumping up and down on whatever plank he's been able to find. Come on, lads. You've got to put the effort in to be a psychopath these days. <laughs> I imagine him, like, a speeded up, like, he's speeded up, like he's on speed or something, like a cartoon. <laughs> <version. laughs> yeah so anyway these two boulders miss and then um one of the one of the savages they try and like send through one of the hunters to attack him and ralph wounds him and then they they light a fire to smoke him out and uh, and ralph has to run and he's like ralph makes a run for it and there's one savage like in his way but hasn't noticed him and it says that ralph sort of like attacks him like stabs at him and the and the and the kid crumples and you're never really sure what that golding doesn't never go sort of ralph's fighting back he's fighting for his life and um it's never it's quite clever i suppose in a way golding that he leaves it open-ended as to exactly what this means all it's ever described is whenever ralph comes across these other hunters is he attacks and the other one falls away, and he runs. And it could be stunned him, and it could be something worse, but we, we never know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that is a very excellent and interesting point about... I don't, I don't actually know whether Golding... I assume Golding, as a man of his, his age, will would have been would have fought in one of the two world wars that had happened in the sort of 30 years before the book was, was written. Hmm. Um, but I'm not sure whether that's a deliberate kind of representation of sometimes you don't know you know here's this thing that you've been told is a gross and profane act you know like amongst the worst things that a human being can do but if you're in a certain situation you walk away not knowing whether or not you've done it Hmm. and that's quite that's quite sobering really and again it's this thing of sort of critiquing ralph's morality as well rather than just being like well once there was a lovely boy called ralph and a shit called jack the end (laughs) Yeah. You know, like it's not that everybody is is complicit in in the violence that they commit, even if they did it when they were scared. Hmm. Um, and there is this element of how awful not to know whether or not you're a murderer. Hmm. Yeah, um, the Ralph runs and runs and then gets to this this clearing again, um, the clearing with the um, with the skull now on the floor. And he hides in the same place where Simon was, and he he it looks like he he sort of he sort of keeps as still and quiet as he can, and eventually is found by this by this sort of savage. And the way that he's found is is written really well because it's really tense. And he sees like he sees this kid coming towards him, then he sees sort of the two feet stop, then the sort of two knees on the floor, the two hands, and then the face looking at him. Yeah. And he, and even then he's not sure if he if he can see him, or if yeah. or not. And, and I I remember when I used to like play, sort of hide and seek. We had this big um big like area of um like overgrown land where we used to play hide and seek. All right. And I used to obviously in a much less running for your life sense, but I had this similar <laughs> similar feeling in that you'd be playing this, yeah, you'd be yeah. hiding, and someone yeah. who was looking for you would walk and look pretty much right at you. And you'd have to make a decision as to have they seen you and they're just trying to get close enough to get you. So do you need to bolt yeah. now or should you wait? Are they about to just walk past because they haven't seen you? And that was the decision that Ralph's got to make here. And I remember when I read it the first time because you know I was still close to the age where I was used to be doing that. It really like it yeah. really felt real to me. I was like, yeah, uh, that's yeah, a decision yeah. you've got to make. That split second, yeah, that's gamble cool. or do you run? Yeah. <laughs> you took you took a big big old pull on the cigarette there and like yep yep that's war (laughs) as one veteran to another critiquing technique Ralph we almost go through these things (laughs) you gotta decide are you gonna run (laughs) or are you gonna hide <laughs> You're not gonna Poetry, fight, Matt. You should. You should. Get, I was gonna say that. You got. You got to get into. Uh, you got to get into script writing, Matt. That's genius. That's some. That's some Clint Eastwood shit. Um, Ralph again springs on this this uh, hunter and, and runs for it again. He gets as far as the beach and he sort of, as he's running through the the last part of the the forest, is being chased all around both by hunters running after him and the fire, which is. He briefly sort of thinks as he's running, you know, he, he was told once that a fire can run faster than a galloping horse. And yeah. he knows that that is just as dangerous now as the hunters. Yeah. Um, and he, he bursts out onto the sand, sort of falls, realises he can't get up again. 
and sort of gets ready to die and then looks up and he sees sort of this he sees this naval officer standing over him and <laughs> this 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 boat's arrived and this guy <laughs> this officer's like looks at him this like little kid is just running out the the forest just like dressed as a savage and he just goes hmm fun and games and then like <laughs> <laughs> it seems incongruous but then i think you you could give me a crisp wadge of 50 pound notes and i'm not sure i could come up with anything better than that but i would say presented with that image you know oh look the smoke over there we better go and check this out in our astonishingly rapid boat apparently <laughs> This fire's been lit for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, go and go and look at the... Oh, there's a child coming out on the beach. Not quite sure what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Hello. Like, what are you going to say? Fun and games makes as much sense as anything else. Yeah. Um, the uh, little Percival, remember the kid who started crying when he couldn't remember his telephone number, he sort of wanders yeah. up and um, and he says, oh, I'm... I'm and he can't even remember his name. It's, it says it's uh, just even that knowledge has just been rubbed away, and he just doesn't know yeah. who he is anymore. Which, um, which yeah. I thought was really it was a really nice beat. Um, yeah. And then the, and then the officer says, you know, who's in charge? And Ralph immediately says, "Me." And yeah. and Jack sort of, Jack sort of, Jack sort of starts forward, and then stops and thinks better of it. And I always took that to be partly. Sort of his lack of his loss of authority, but also partly a sense of sort of self-preservation. It's like, like yeah, who's responsible good. for everything we're about to find in this? Like, not me. Yeah, he was the chief. <laughs> yeah. We had a shell and that he was in charge the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's true, isn't it? And I, I mean, it's yeah. This end scene is. I mean, first of all, we've got to call it what it is. It is a Deus Ex Machina, de tutti Deus Ex Machina. It is. <laughs> And then, and then they all got to go home. And I've never quite understood. I always thought that the the uh, Simpsons. Have you seen the Simpsons parody of this? No. Oh, it's brilliant, Matt. You've got to watch it. Like they do. I mean, it's it's one of the more surreal ones. And but it, it ends up with Ralph Wiggum being killed and shit. And um, uh, uh, and then at the end of the episode, they don't do how they all get off the island. They just a narrator's voice comes in and goes. And eventually, the children were all rescued from the island by, oh, let's say, Mo. <laughs> and, and I always thought that that was a really funny joke about how they'd run out of time to do this. Like, they wanted to do a story in the script, and they couldn't be asked to do all of the joke-free mechanics of getting them off the island. So they just made it into a gag. And I thought that was really funny. Hmm. Now I've read the book, I'm like, yeah, this really is an atrocious handbrake turn to take at the end of a novel. In terms of plot, except that actually it's great because in the few things that this guy, this naval officer says, you know, he's clearly sort of nonplussed by it and you get this opportunity. But what you see is this whole thing is kind of every, things have fallen apart. The center has failed to hold. Anarchy has taken place and people have died. But then an external externally verified structure of authority turns up and everybody's just like all right hmm. and there's no jack doesn't walk around going i'm the pan now you know what i mean he doesn't do any of that loved it if he'd have done full rufio yeah um 
I'm the pan now. But no, he, he doesn't do it. He just goes, no. yeah, you're right, Mr. Naval Officer, you're in charge, and I'm, I'm the same Empire boy as I ever was. Hmm. And, and, and of, like w- the point of this, I think, is to say that it's not the fact that the world ended that made them be like this. It's just the fact that human beings are like this. And again, Golding was a school boy, a school teacher. Like I, I, I do. Again, I have questions about how bad the wet break time was that led him to the, the seed of this story. <laughs> but like, but the um, uh, supply teaching on one dusty kind of Wednesday afternoon, and it all went south. And he's like, right, I'm getting a book out of this, if nothing else. Hmm. But, um, but what it really is is it gives you a chance to sort of see how the, this grown-up has no idea and will never have any idea what went on and is operating from the same script that they were when they all arrived on the island. Because he says, you know, like, oh, you're British, all of you British? I would have expected British boys to have more handle on things than this. Mm. And that's exactly the kind of thing that somebody of that generation and social class would have said, to the word. Mm. There's just belief in British superiority, which we saw the boys themselves acting out. Well, that's it. That, that's why they would be so... Um, I think this is such a sort of devastating thing for Ralph to hear as well where he, and, he, and he's sort of taken it all on his shoulders because he said he's in charge and this line yeah, yeah. you'd have thought a pack of British boys would have been able to put up a better show than that it's sort of I think that is probably the, the most hurtful thing that this guy could have said to, to Ralph and probably yeah, to the other boys yeah. on the island it's probably why he, he does say it I suppose absolutely but then the ironic thing is that actually what it is is a comment back on that broader society hmm. because because the, these boys started with every advantage hmm. that that society gives to its future leaders up to that age and they kept it together for a couple of weeks tops and that that's that's how the that's how the book ends we've got um uh, this this sort yeah. of this sort of sentence um about you know you thought you boys would have put in a better show than that sort of ends with Ralph starting to cry and um, the officer sort of looks away a little embarrassed and um, this is classic true to type as type A British man right for that time period classic so he says he just gives them some time to collect themselves the boys and then, um, yeah, and, that, and, and that's a jolly good bloke, jolly, jolly good chap. <laughs> Tactfully, don't engage with the emotion being shown. Don't tell him off for the emotion, obviously. Uh, but uh, bloody hell, just wait for him to pull himself together and hope that he gets a bloody move on. Hmm. You know, like that's that's about as pliant, emotionally pliant as you can expect somebody in that role to be. And hmm. American Friends, that is accurate. That is not pantomime. They, that is what they would have done. Yeah, they looks off at the cruiser in the distance, and that is that. That is the end yeah. of the Lord of the Flies. Um, wow. And now I canter through the book. Cracking read, I would say. One of the yeah. one of the better books we've Great. done on Charlotte Royal. Very very true. Very we exist on a spectrum, starting <laughs> at the bottom with the Da Vinci Code, working our way all the way up to this one. I'll say that this one's had fewer jokes in it. Um, <laughs> it but, has, um, yeah. It's been it's been quite heavy going at points, if we're gonna be it, honest. But it, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I don't know if you saw my uh, my notes from the last episode. I couldn't think of anything that I was that I really wanted to make light of in it, so I just went, I'll level with you, it gets dark. <laughs> and I think that could be the the subtitle of this, but I don't mean to take away from the quality of it by that because it really is a, an incredibly well sketched, well written, really well written, um, 
nightmare. Mm. And it does exactly what it means to do in as few words as it possibly can. It swings punches, and then it goes, and it's great. And I, there's a bit of me that wants to know what the nature of the conflict was. There's a bit of me that wants to know... You know, are they going back to a deconstructed society or one where they all have to try and find a way to fit in? Hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about what you do after this, this sort of violence, because um, that's one of the fascinating things for me is, um, uh, uh, like, post-conflict, the fact, particularly in um, certain, um, like, irregular wars in um, in Central Africa, the Lord's Resistance on particularly... Soldier, um, com- countries and, and armies that use child soldiers afterwards those children you know if they've been in a seven year war from the age of 11 they're only 18 years old and they have to work out what to do about the fact that that these things have happened to them and um, and I'd be quite interested in reading Lord of the Flies too actually um, but like but we, we know that the only way that would get made is if Lord of the Flies 1 was made and made a preposterous amount of money and then you literally did have to do the Sylvester Stallone sequel you know I thought I was off that island for good so we can be spared that but I think there are really interesting stories to be told after this and even though it was so lean I kind of want more you know mm. Shall we see if uh, shall we see if some of the reviewers from around the internet? Oh, the reviews! Let's, yeah. let's, let's 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 get let's get into some of these. These are some of the finest reviews that I've pieced together. First, um, Matt. No, no, no other reason. There is there is another reason other than um, the fact that he's got the same name as me as to why I'm reading it out. He, <laughs> he, he gave it favoritism, three, yeah. nepotism. I'm shocked. He gave it three stars. But um, the, the interesting thing <laughs> by is, comparison with what what literature have you been reading recently that this is middle of the road? Well, he um, he mentions something about um, which you can I won't go into now, but go away and do a little bit of homework if you're interested in it. The Stanford Prison Experiment, which is um, oh god, that is fucking awful. Yeah, oh. but it, but it's something oh. something that he likens to, um, to to sort of the 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 story here, but also. Um, he he says the authors in Golding's he mentions Golding's psychological experiments with his classes at Bishop Wordsworth School in Salisbury caused his eyes to come out like organ stops, according to his private journal. He divided pupils into gangs, with one attacking a prehistoric camp and the other defending it. In the process, Simon, Ralph, Piggy, and the other characters in the Lord of the Flies may have been born so he's saying um, this is from a I think it's a Guardian mm. article that he's picked <laughs> out but um, Golding did yeah. a little experiment at his school and that's how he got the idea for the book it's <laughs> how savage oh, the kids so got <laughs> it, it wasn't a wet break time it was actually a constructed social environment well yeah. that is a damn sight less impressive than I otherwise I would have hoped for <laughs> I, I mean you know one wonders how much that was the kind of I can well believe any school teacher doing that in the past come on boys let's play warfare <laughs> um but um god that's pretty fucking bleak isn't it <laughs> deary me if that's the case my word now laurie gave it two stars and she kind of had a problem with um sort of the message that it gave so she says it was well written accurate and insightful about human nature especially if left to itself and unbridled but once again it's full of hate and evil and a lack of conscience which certainly exists all around us but you won't feel good while reading the book you won't feel lifted or motivated to be better. You'll just shudder at how awful, cruel and evil mankind can be. It'll probably make you cynical and doubtful. Now, how is that helpful in the long run? Two stars. 
I mean, I can't argue with any of the points that she's making, but I do think there probably are, like, functions for literature other than that. Hmm. Like, I mean, I, but I suppose if that's what you want, if, that, if, that's, if that's what you want your art to do, is to uplift. You know, take you on a... Yeah, to uplift, to take you on a very uh, uncontroversial journey towards a, a better feeling about yourself as a human being. Yeah, this isn't going to get you there. But... I do think it actually it presents you with questions which it is a which it is a wise thing to consider. Yeah. Like I don't think this necessarily presents you with a path to cynicism. I think it presents you with a path to self critique. Like, to what extent do I practice power in a way that is that is just driven by like is just driven by extreme selfishness. You know, to what extent yeah. are the things I take for granted in the world around me just a function of everybody acting as though they're reasonable when they are perhaps just as mad yeah. as a 12 year old yeah. you know cons- I, constructing a sacrificial god thing inside two weeks yeah. like you I, know I, I, like, I don't think every, yeah. every book has to be has to be uplifting and also like no, no. you know th- there's there's nothing wrong with a book saying yeah you know sometimes everything isn't all right and everything doesn't get better at the end either you know it doesn't necessarily yeah. make it a bad book i don't think yeah i mean i yeah exactly i, I think there's that thing about it being a a bad book or a good book that presents you with badness. I, I think there are two different things there. Like there's a, like and there's an effective book, like a book that you put together that's good. You have to describe it as well done, which nonetheless presents you with an image of the world which is cynical and terrible and and bad. And, and there's plenty of authors that have done that sort of thing. I don't know if you've ever read any Michelle Welbeck, the French author, who just really enjoys being disgusting. Um, but that's not what this is i think this is golding going he's doing it in quite an understated way but i think he's looking at looking at how things happen and going i don't think we're going to move past this unless we can name it hmm. and that's a different thing again to me being presented with your own darkness isn't necessarily a, a condemnation occasionally it is you have to name the sickness before you can heal it hmm. john gave it five stars and has the absolute opposite um, to 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 the uh, he didn't to the last find it an uplifting happy go lucky romp. Did it? <laughs> <laughs> no, he says some books are required reading for good reason. A book like Lord of the Flies is what I think of as more demanded reading. There is a handful of works in the world that absolutely need to be read by everyone, and you can't call yourself an avid reader if you've missed out on them. William Golding's masterpiece is one such book. Lord of the Flies is not so much a classic as it is a pillar of the literary literary pantheon. It ain't just for high school curriculums. It's for every literate person to experience, absorb, and ponder. So he loves mm. the message from the book and thinks everyone should read it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I again, I feel like treating it as a propaganda piece in either direction is a little bit... I mean, to me, I, that's not what I jive with it for. Like, if other people are into it for other reasons, then mm. absolutely fair enough. But I, I'm not... I'm not looking for somebody to convince me that the world is ter- world is terrible. Like I work in international development, I don't need any more convincing of that. Um, but equally, I'm not looking for somebody only to convince me that the world is a lovely place because I know that it's not. Hmm. This, to me, is striking because it presents it presents me with an environment in which I can ask questions about what's good hmm. and why it's good and why we think it's good 
and what we think is a desirable outcome and how we are hypocritical in it. And I think all of those questions will probably drive us to better outcomes yeah. um, I rather than necessarily the message it being like a great tract mm. in either direction, I think, is, is not the right way to read it. I, th- I, mean. I think the book says, you know, you know, yeah, that the world is sometimes a, a, a very savage, nasty place. And, and the book sort of explores why that may sometimes be and i think that's really interesting that's what i really liked about it um this sort of this sort of this 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 sort of yeah this this examination of why why do things break down and become savage and chaotic Mm. sometimes um and and how they they all they're all balancing points they're all tipping points they're all like it could have gone this way but now it's gone this way and now there's no going back Mm. zane gave it two stars um, he <laughs> he was recommended it by someone who said, "Oh, if you like the Maze Runner, you'll like this." I've never seen what the, the f- <laughs> I've never seen the Maze Runner, no, but um, I have. Well, honestly, Matt. No. <laughs> well, judging by Zane's review, Zane agrees with you. He didn't think there was much in common. Zane says, "What was this? I don't understand one bit of the book. Firstly, how did so many young boys get stranded on the island? We will never know." Well, there was a plane. There was a plane crash. Anyway, I think you missed that. At, at the beginning, the plane that was sinking in the water had crashed. Insane. We will never know. We will never know unless we read the first chapter of the book with anything resembling a, a, a flicker of attention. Yeah, maybe he didn't get the first chapter. Maybe that. Maybe he got like a dodgy Kindle yeah. version. <laughs> he didn't pirate it, and he just didn't get the first chapter. It was all sort of yeah. weird characters at the beginning. Yeah says, everything was so jumbled, I did not like it, it was bad. Oh, and I'd like to have a chat with those people who say it's like the Maze Runner. <laughs> <laughs> I think he may be closer to uh, to the characters in this book than he believes. If he's, gone, if he's getting violent, he's, he's entertaining casual thoughts of violence about a, a relatively minor slight. I think, Zane, that this book may be for you. Um, <laughs> now, nah, I totally understand that. Like, and I have sympathy for somebody saying it's like the maze runner because the maze runner is to compare it to the lord of the flies is preposterous except in so far as it is about a single gender society of adolescent boys trying Mm. to work out like trying to run a society but it's totally where this is lean and not doesn't waste a word the maze runner is the most oh i just i can't even like it to be honest (laughs) okay it's (laughs) <laughs> bollocks um but so, but i understand why a well-meaning particularly a well-meaning english teacher or well-read person would say oh did you like that you like this it's thinking mm. it's shit what can i say to build off that to get him into something that might be actually nourishing mm. try the lord of the flies but that is to that what that should do is over dignify the maze runner i think what has happened is it has under dignified the lord of the flies yeah now esteban um, Esteban's review. I'm going to set you a challenge, and I might give you the answer at the end of the podcast. But all right, okay. The, the challenge here is for you to decide whether this is a one star or a five star review. Okay. Okay. Esteban is a one line review, all in capital letters. This is about kids on an island. The fat one is crushed by a rock. Um, we'll come back. Is that's either a yeah. one star or a five? Five star. <laughs> <laughs> Mark gave it a four, gave it a four star review. 
He said, beautiful, iconic story about how hard it is to keep civilization in difficult conditions. Wonderful find of Golding just to let the most innocent of creatures, that is children, derail. Um, there is a continuous tension between the heavenly exotic setting and the spiralling decline of the mutual relationships. One of the top 20 stories of the 20th century. What do you think about that? The sort of, that juxtaposition of the beautiful island and the sort of declining Bollocks. relationships. <laughs> Sorry. Bollocks. Bollocks. That's not. That's only. That's only beautiful if you've watched holiday programs rather than go to a tropical environment. There's nothing about the presentation of that that is necessarily beautiful. It's just. It's just that that's a long way away from wherever you're from, so that's where you go to visit, hmm. and you spend a lot of money to get there. And like, like, there's nothing. I just do it differently in the world. Fine, lovely beaches, palm trees, bamboo, the lot, great. But um, like. The book doesn't ever present it as idyllic, like, and it does. It deliberately doesn't do that. The um, uh, the beach definitely does. The beach has a solid one third of the book, which is about wouldn't it be wonderful if you lived in a in a self organizing society on a beach? Hmm. Like, wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't it be fun? And wouldn't it be beautiful and really enjoyable? Whole section called Beach Life is about that. This book doesn't ever do that, so I'm. I think he's reading his own expectations of how nice it is to be on the beach. I don't know. I quite like some of the, some the of the presentation of the of of the island, especially at the start and the way it was described, and also like those sort of quiet moments when things are a bit still, like the stuff with Simon where he's washed away and where the uh, sort of Ralph's looking out onto the sort of. Um, so the pace of the islands described, and I like there's a mirage in the afternoon, and it's this, that, and the other. I did, and, and maybe the the swimming bit at the start where Ralph, like when they're first exploring the island, I do think there's an element of it seems like the, the, you know, like you said before about how they were given the per, like the best start that the sort of British civilization could have given them in terms of education up to here. It felt yeah. like the island was sort of if you were to design an island that was easy to survive on this would be the one oh. no, no predators you've got an abundance of fruit for some reason and a lot of it that keeps appearing no particularly day apart from the the, the bit at the end of the island yeah. there's a lot of safe places to be as well or comparatively safe for a yeah, wild yeah, island yeah. it felt like it was <laughs> almost he, set yeah. up to sort of to make sure the island isn't a threat it's always what's on the island in terms of the people that's that's the threat and what they believe and what's in their own minds um, and what they manufacture as a threat is just something... All the threatening stuff is either from someone else or from what's going on in your own head, your own fears. And the island itself isn't actually very threatening at all. It's actually a very safe and almost an idyllic place. Do you know what? That is solid. I, I'm, I'm sitting here reconsidering what I thought about that. Because... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think I've just been blowing past the sort of suspicious freedom of all the pigs and the <laughs> fruit and the and like how available all this stuff is just as a i don't know it's like a dramatic contrivance like you can't have them starving to death if you want them to fall into savagery so they yeah. sort of got to happen yeah and you know i've been praising the genius of its construction at every other point so i kind of think i can't I can't accept that as just a yeah it's necessary so let's just not talk about the practicalities hmm. um, that must also be deliberate which means yeah I think that argument's solid I mean you know the the, the, the island's so fucking welcoming that there's a spontaneously occurring <laughs> sofa essentially like there's a bit <laughs> where you can go and lie down and it's nice 
Um, I think I have been informed a bit by the fact that I live in a tropical place and it's not often a very nice place to spend time outside. (laughs) So... So I'm not bringing that kind of wish-you-were-here postcard feeling to this island. I'm just like... Because I know what it's like. Actually, last week, not seven days ago, I played a football game, just a football game, in a place with freely available water and shade, in, but in the middle of the afternoon, kicking off at 3.30. And it was 11 aside. And I, I nearly passed out because it was so hot. And so, and so I'm looking at this going... Grim. There's no way they survive this. <laughs> you're seeing, you're suppose... seeing beautiful sandy beach, and you're thinking sand everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get clean. in your sandwiches. <laughs> no, I am. I'm seeing beautiful sandy beach at 35 plus degrees. Yeah. Thinking you're all going to be dead of dehydration in a week mm. because they would be. And so, like, I, there's a bit of me which is kind of wants to know whether Golding ever spent time in the tropics. Because if he did, then I think he's done this deliberately. And the heaven and earth, and you know, where every prospect pleases and only man is vile thing, hmm. actually really works. But if he never had, and he was just dramatically underestimating how hot he can get on a tropical island, having only ever lived in Wiltshire, then. I actually think it's a pretty massive hole in the middle of the book. But there's a really interesting question. Like, I think it can't be anything but one of those two things. Emily gave it one star. And um, she said, it did not really have that much of anything interesting in it. And they just added this giant fly from out of nowhere towards the end. Um, I think that thinks she's describing the, uh, the did, body in the, <laughs> the parachute. Did, <laughs> what? Towards the end as well. That's... The beast is real. It's the way through the book. It's a giant fly. It's a giant fly. (laughs) I I respectfully suggest, Emily, that you may not have given this the close reading that it perhaps Uh, perhaps deserves. Should have have fit well on the island. Um, (laughs) That's absolutely true. (laughs) Something, 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 massive fly. It was weird. Anyway. (laughs) Clara gave it one star. She said, sad, pessimistic view of society. He's missing the rest of the story. Redemption. So she doesn't like the fact that there isn't a happy ending. Or at least there isn't. Again, you can't give it a one-star review for that, though. You can't give it a one-star review because you don't like it. Hmm. Like, you give it a one-star review because it's poorly written or because it presents itself in an incoherent way, but you can't just go, I don't like what this makes me think about the world. It's Hmm. a shit book. No, it's a great (laughs) book if it's made you question your worldview. Hmm. Um, The next next one is a five-star from uh, Pecho, who says, Humanity, read this book, read it again and again, to know and remember what will become what we have become. It's very, uh, I thought that I, was, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like a speech. I mean, again, I like having ragged on the one star, I sort of had Great to rag on that a little bit as well. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I dig that you agree with it, but what about as a like what like that's not what makes it a great book or not like i agree with it and it is good are two different sentences you can agree with something that's brilliant Hmm. but not necessarily my example for this is always to to digress a little bit whiplash you ever seen the film whiplash um yes i have yeah that is a fucking morally repugnant film. I hate the message of that film. I think it is awful. I think it presents you with the idea that if you're abused for long enough, eventually you'll learn to win on your abuser's terms, and that's a good thing. Dramatic crescendo, roll credits. I think it's awful but I th- morally, but I think as a piece of filmmaking, it's genius. I think it's so well put together. Like, like I, I just like I, I, I was so angry when I watched it, but I don't think that makes it a, a, a poor quality film. 
Mm. I think it's a good film with a terrible message. Mm. And I think like you've sort of got a, I don't know, am I wrong about that? Do you think it's is it am I just being a bit too harsh? About the like, about Whiplash. No, about well about Whiplash sure, let's talk about Whiplash, but <laughs> but about like the people who are reviewing this book by going, I liked it, five star, I liked its message, five stars, or I didn't like its message, one star. Yeah. Like yeah, is that a bit, am I off there? Am I, I being a bit snooty? I don't know. I, I think we've seen this before. I think that reminds me most about it is the um, reaction to the Wasp Factory, where people who thought it was oh, yeah. thought it was like horrible hated it. Yeah, and pe- people who thought it was horrible but wanted to prove that they didn't mind said they loved it because of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I think true. I think yeah. there is sort of the way a book makes you feel can sometimes be its own review for you if that's the reason you read books so if the book yeah. if the book makes you feel something you didn't want to feel um if you read then you're it, just angry about then it. you just yeah. then you just don't like it um whereas yeah. i think it dep- i suppose it depends what you're reading the book for but um but that that's i mean yeah that's kind of why book reviews are a bit of a waste of time but let's not <laughs> let's not say that <laughs> too loudly. but they are the funnest bit at the end of a, <laughs> at the end of a, at the end of a podcast run um, no that's a solid point actually i appreciate that and and I, I think the i think it's interesting that like that these like i think that's a perfectly reasonable way of reading a book to say i want to have hmm. a i there is there is a set of emotional experiences that I want to have, and I'm happy with any book that gives me them. Yeah. And there's a set of emotional experiences that I don't want to have, and I'm angry with any book that gives them gives me those. Mm. Like, yeah, fair enough, I guess. I just I just think that's not all that a book is for mm. necessarily. Although I will say, actually, on the, the case of the Wasp Factory, I thought it was just sort of mean spirited. It was both unpleasant to read mm. and pointless. Well, you know, and you can get, you can get it. You, you, there's got, they've got a, was it, it three parts in the Wasp Factory or four? Anyway, there's a, there's a substantial, yeah. there's a substantial review of that in the, in, in, in our back catalogue. <laughs> I'd advise you to go listen to it. It was a, it was a good, um, it was a good read through that. I, I, yeah, I did enjoy doing through. it, but again, I this weird brain case where like I can even read a book that I think. I don't enjoy very much mm. and still have fun reading it because yeah. we're having a good laugh with it. But. I've got a few more, um, a couple more reviews to get through. One, a five star from Farah, who says, Oh my God, wow. This was like Peter Pan meets Animal Farm meets Castaway. Absolutely brilliant. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> that's amazing. All it was missing was the volleyball. Five stars. Um, that's solid, actually. That mashup, that's great. I mean, you know, you go for two really solid literary references and then. A Tom Hanks movie, rather than the like genre sparking original Robinson Crusoe that it's all <laughs> inspired by. Yeah. But uh, whatever, great, cracking. Carry on. Melissa gave it five stars. This haunting masterpiece is one I try to reread every few years. Stunning portrayal of humanity left to its own devices. I think that's probably the review that's closest to my thinking about it. I like that. Yeah. Um, although, although the rest of the world is humanity left to its own devices, isn't it? So like, it's a bit. Yeah, good point, yeah. As opposed to what humanity as ruled by the secret lizard people at the top of all the governments. No, that's that's what we've got everywhere is humanity left to its own devices. Uh, Lily gave it one star. Um, says Lord of the Flies is the worst piece of literature I've ever read. Um, I hate this story with the power of a thousand suns. Um, <laughs> I, the power of a thousand suns uh, uh, review is not inventively worded, but I always appreciate. It's always good, it isn't it? Used. Yeah, I don't understand why William Golding believes that boys between the ages of 6 and 12, if left alone, would unleash the animal inside them and start killing each because, other. Because, Melissa, because, not Melissa, whoever it is, Lily. Because, because Lily, 
He was a school teacher. <laughs> she says, Golding seems to believe that humans are inherently evil. Children are not monsters. They can be cruel and nasty, but not to the extent of the characters in this book. In my opinion, the story would have been more realistic if the characters were older. Oh, over 17. Um, but so, because over 17, original innocence falls away and we're all just feral bastards. She, she, does say, like, she does say that, even though I hated this book, I strongly believe that everyone should read it. It will stay with me for the rest of my life. Good job, well, William Golding. we're on the wavelength there. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, William Golding. Yeah. There aren't lots of stories that have provoked so much anger in me. And she finishes with a hashtag. Hashtag justice for Biggie. Hashtag my boy deserved more. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all on board with that. Um, yeah, um, yeah, no, that's that's true, and I appreciate the distinction that she draws there. But um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, that's that's ontological in it. That's what you believe, uh, anthropological. That's what you believe human beings are about, and that will kind of form whether you think it's a fair analysis of it. But I don't think it's entirely fair to say it would be realistic if they were older than seventeen, because you know, older than seventeen-year-old boys are shits. <laughs> but younger than that, they're delightful. I I question that having been a boy younger than seventeen myself, I'm not sure delightful is necessarily the uh, the, the the word I'd use to describe behaviour uh, in that sort of society. Just stuck in hashtag justice for piggy on Twitter. Um, <laughs> there is one Lord of the Flies reference with the hashtag. Um, it looks like it's a teacher who um, just finished off doing a study group for Lord of the Flies and. Um, for the quiz code, I assume it's some password they've got to use to access some documents. She's she's used the password RIP underscore piggy and she's put um <laughs> one of my students told me I was so cruel. Hashtag justice for piggy. <laughs> um the, the rest of the, the rest of the tweets involve David Cameron, um so we don't need to go into those. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> snout rage, Matt. It was a snout rage. Um, let's wrap this up with um, our final review. Dave, thoughts on on Esteban's review? Is it going to be one? I'll give you. It's a, the clue is it's either one star or five stars. He, he, he wasn't right, in right, the middle. Yeah. What do you think it is? It was so again. Sorry, it was all caps. This is about what was it? This is about kids on an island. The fat one is crushed by a rock. Is he outraged I mean, or is he loving it? I mean, you sort of have to imagine it both ways, don't you? Like, on the one hand, he's sitting there, you know, like, perhaps identifying with Piggy quite a lot, furiously hammering away on the keyboard, all caps. And he hates islands for some reason as well. Like, I'm, I'm from continental America and proud of it. That's the one star. The other one would be somebody who is really, really likes the idea of a society on an island made of 12-year-old boys where the fat one gets killed by a rock and he's so i suppose it depends knowing nothing else about esteban whether i think he's a psychopath <laughs> or not and i would so that then becomes a litmus test for what i believe another human being sight unseen to be to tend towards <laughs> and i'm gonna say that even though this is a review given on an internet in all caps I'm going to say that I believe Esteban was so shocked by the behaviour of the boys on the island that he couldn't help but give it a one-star review in all caps talking about how the fat one gets crushed by a rock. So you're going to disagree with William Golding's view of the world. They're not all savages. 
It's civilization prevails. Admittedly, the, the, the weight of evidence is not with me there, so perhaps <laughs> I'm engaging in mere wishful thinking, <laughs> but that's where I'm sticking my flag. Okay. Esteban was shocked and gave it a one-star review. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. Esteban. This is about kids on an island. The fat one is crushed by a rock. Five stars. Oh! <laughs> and there it is. There it is. <laughs> Speaking of five stars, give us a review. Come on, you've you've sat through this right to the end. You must you must have liked something. Get on um get on get on the iTunes store, find Shark Liver Oil and put a five star review. There it is. And just because otherwise, you know, just the world is going to collapse into anarchy as we've seen in Lord of the Flies there needs to be Absolutely. rules and the rule we have like the fire on the mountain is create your own fire on the mountain to let other people know what's going on in the best books podcast around exactly amazing we shall return um, very shortly with our uh, Game of Thrones coverage season 8 it all comes to this um, who's going to live, who's going to die, how is the series going to get wrapped up. We will be giving you your episode by episode, week by week guide to that, starting on Sunday. Looking forward right, to it, Dave? Right. I absolutely am, Matt, and I'll just say this, I'll just say this, pod for the Iron Throne. <laughs> Podcast for the Iron Throne, that's what I say. Hey! Come on. <laughs> Buzzing. <laughs>